This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. I want you to go with me on a little journey through the scriptures in one portion of the Gospels. I, I, I often say this, I think that when you read the Bible, it's, it's imperative, it's important that you use your imagination and picture yourself in what you're reading. That's why I do tend to move a little bit when I preach. I tried to convey a little bit of, of the, uh, the departure of uh, Gomer from Hosea this morning. And, and I, I'm, I'm a visual person. And I think that as you read the Bible, it's important to visualize being in the account of what you're reading. And so when you read the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you need to walk with Jesus. You need to go along with Him and and live the life of Christ. Don't just get facts. Be a part of it. And my favorite, and this could change in time, but right now it's and has been this way for quite some time. My favorite Gospel writer is Mark. I want you to go to Mark chapter 1 with me. John Mark, the human author led by the Spirit of God to write this account, tells us and shows us the life of Jesus Christ as the Son of Man, the servant to mankind. And I want you to see something, I want you to see 24 hours in the life of Jesus Christ. We're going to read from chapter 1 the events that took place in the life of Jesus that covered really... Right at 24 hours, or just a little past 24 hours of his life. That's not a mistake that the Lord gives us this account. I want you to see it. We'll pick it up in verse 21 of Mark chapter 1. It says this, And they, all right, now the they there would be Jesus, and those uh, few that he's already called to be his disciples. Uh, That would be, I think, primarily the four disciples. Uh, Peter, Simon Peter and his brother Andrew, James and John. And it says, and they went into Capernaum. And straightway, by the way, that's the key word of the gospel of John, straightway, which means immediately. So straightway or immediately on the Sabbath day, he entered into the synagogue and taught. And they were astonished at his doctrine. For he taught them as one that had authority and not as the scribes. Now, don't let that pass you by. It says not as the scribes. William Hendrickson, uh, uh, old-time New Testament commentator, said that it it was a common occurrence that the scribal rabbi teachers of that day were not real interesting. They took the Old Testament scriptures and they, they squeezed things out of the Old Testament that really were not there. They added to the scriptures. The Bible condemns that, of course. And there was, there was an explanation given. And in order to give them credence, one, one uh, rabbi would quote another rabbi to say, hey, this, what I'm saying is true because Rabbi uh, Yehu over here said the same thing and so I'm saying the same thing and so forth and he said Hendrickson said this people endured the teaching of the scribes because they were boring they were just boring 
But here comes Jesus. And they were astonished. He was anything but boring. And he presented the good news, the gospel. And they were amazed at his teaching. And he spoke with authority. He knew what he was speaking of. All right, let's get back to it. Look at verse 23. And, now can you imagine this? There was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out. So he's demon-possessed. And here comes the demon speaking, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with thee, Jesus of Nazareth? Art thou come to destroy us? I know thee who thou art, the Holy One of God. All right, now that is true. These demons knew that there was, there's going to be a day in which they're going to be confined to the lake of fire. They know that. And so what, he's being, what, what this demon or demons are asking is, is it now time? Are you going to judge us? Because we know who you are. You're the Son of God. Are you going to destroy us now? And notice Jesus rebuked him. Verse 25, saying, hold your peace and come out of him. And when the unclean spirit had torn him and cried with a loud voice, wow, he came out of him. <laughs> and they were all amazed. Now you've read that probably who knows how many times. Don't let it pass you by. Wouldn't you have been a bit amazed at what just took place? He commanded the demon to come out of him and a great loud noise took place and man collapsed on the floor and they were all amazed. In fact, the word amazed there includes the idea of being frightened. Well, I get it. They were stunned and they were frightened and they had never seen anything like this. They were struck with, with concern and no doubt they had questions. What is this all about? It says, and they were all amazed insomuch that they questioned among themselves saying, what thing is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority commandeth he even the unclean spirits and they do obey him. And boy, I mean, everybody was talking about Jesus. And immediately his fame spread abroad throughout all the region round about Galilee. So people went, after they spent time in the synagogue, they went about talking about what they had just seen and observed. Verse 29, and forthwith, when they were come out of the synagogue, now who knows how many conversations they had before getting out, but they come out of the synagogue, it's time for the Sabbath meal. Don't, don't, don't. Don't start thinking about your, your lunch right now. I want you to stay with me, all right? It says, and forthwith, when they were come out of the synagogue, they entered into the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. But Simon's wife's mother lay sick of a fever. And a nun, that means, literally, it means immediately, they tell him of her. And he came. And he took her by the hand and lifted her up. And immediately the fever left her and she ministered unto them. Can you picture this? I mean, she didn't say, oh man, I'm feeling better. I'm just going to sit here in the chair for a while. Let me catch my breath. No, she just gets up and starts serving. You talk about a complete healing. I mean, she just, she's, she's healed. She gets up, starts serving. Uh, the lasagna right away. I mean, immediately. Now, that's hidden in the Greek, I think, but it's, it's there somewhere. 
And verse 32 says, and at even. All right, so now they've had the meal and at even. All right, now on the Sabbath, they would have the Sabbath meal. Folks, they had to wait till the sun completely went down. And some, some believe it was when the first star began to twinkle in the sky. So it's dark, all right? It's nighttime. At evening, it says, uh, when the sun did set, they, that's people in the city, brought unto him all that were diseased and them that were possessed with devils. And all the city was gathered together at the door. Now, they tell us historically that there would have been as much as uh, 1,500 people who lived in Capernaum at the time. Uh, Could have been 900 up to 1,500 people. And it just says here, all the city was gathered together at the door. What a crowd. I mean, the whole city came out. What a buzz. What a noise. Verse 34, and he healed many that were sick of diverse diseases and cast out many devils. And suffered not the devils to speak because they knew him. Time kept going, it says, and in the morning, rising up a great while before day, he went out and departed into a solitary place and there prayed. And Simon and they that were with him followed after him. And when they had found him, in other words, they didn't know where he went. They just went looking for him. They had to go find him. They found him. They said unto him, all men seek for thee. It was as if they were saying, hey, they're coming back to the house. Let's make much of this now. Jesus, come on, come on. I mean, this is the time. We're going to set up the kingdom now, right? Next verse, 38. And he said unto them, let's go into the next towns that I may preach there also. (coughs) For therefore came I Forth, And he preached in their synagogues throughout all Galilee and cast out devils. Now we'll look at some more here, but let's stop right there. I carry on my wrist what some people have stopped wearing. I carry a watch. Uh, in this day and age, people depend upon their phone. I have found that a lot of uh, uh, college age and younger, a lot of them have stopped wearing watches. Most people still wear a watch. Uh, some of us can remember the day, and I hate to admit this in front of these teenagers right here in front of me, but some of us can remember a day that if you wore a watch in order to keep it going, you had to wind the stem, you know, and uh, I'm a dinosaur, okay? I mean, I can remember those days, you know. And then it was a pretty cool thing when your watch had the inner workings to where uh, you didn't have to do that. You just had to wear it. If you kept your arm going like that, on the inside, it would, uh, it would wind up on its own. If you would keep your arm active to some degree, it would, uh, it would uh, wind it up the battery on the inside. You know, that was pretty neat. Uh, and then, then when I was a kid, I can remember I got this uh, watch. I don't know if it was Christmas or whatever, but uh, I got this watch that you, you could go take it and put it underneath a, a lamp under a light and, and let it get exposed to that lamp. And then you go to bed at night, uh, after, just before you did that, you go to bed at night and you could look at the watch and that it, would, it was fluorescent. It would light up and it was like, wow, how cool is that? You know, and I guess after a season of time, it would eventually uh, die out. I always fell asleep before it stopped uh, being bright, but I could just look at, man, what do watches do now? Just phenomenal. 
I mean, I got a watch on that some of you probably have on your arm uh, that I just do like this and it lights up, tells me what time it is, which is my constant companion. But I mean, I can, I, I, I look at the watch and my watch will do all kinds of things. Like some of you, you I have a watch. I can read text messages on here. Somebody sends me because it, it's linked to my phone. I can look at, I can just go through it and say, okay, all right, all right. I can read emails on my watch. If it's linked to uh, my iPad, I can play, I can hit a button, play music. It's crazy. Uh, I can I can receive phone calls. It, it can tell me that I get, I'm getting a message, and I can tell you, I, the days of Dick Tracy have come alive. You know, and <laughs> you can talk to your your watch. Oh, Sunday comics long ago. Um, it it I, I have it set up to. Uh, for an exercise regimen, I love to exercise. I'm one of those nuts. That, uh, I just love to exercise. And I, I hit this little button that, and I can choose whatever exercise program I want to do. And, and, and it will tell me my, my heart rate. I can get my beats per minute, you know, things like that. And if during the day, uh, I, I'm sitting and I'm working and I'm getting things done. It'll, it'll ding on there and it'll say to me, it's time to stand up. Time to get, oh, yeah, oh, yes, sir. You know, and I'll stand up and, and make sure it's trying to keep me healthy. Every once in a while, it'll, it'll go in there and say, it's time to breathe. Breathe. There's a breathe app. Breathe. Oh, thank you. I've been holding my breath for two hours. I'm thankful that I can breathe again, you know. It's amazing what these things can do. It seems like I'm forgetting something. Oh, yeah, it tells you what time it is, too. That's another thing that it's supposed to do. Watches are unique. Time has always been something that has driven me. I, I lost my dad when I was an 11-year-old boy. And uh, losing a dad when you're 11, it, it shakes you. And it helped to shape me. And as I entered in my teenage years, I had this, I had this realization of the, the, the brevity of life. My mother told me, because I was the only boy in the home, she said to me just in passing, she said, I'm going to really need you. You're now the man of the house. And that it shook me. I mean, I, I went off to college and I, I took summer school courses and I took things online. I did everything I could. I pushed my, I'm one of those nuts. I took my four-year degree and pushed it into three. I got it done in three years. I was just driven. Got to get it done. Time, time. I got married. Now all of a sudden I'm in the ministry and I'm married and I'm, I'm not only a husband, I'm a youth pastor and an assistant to my pastor trying to help and I'm trying to juggle all these things. Then we had kids. Now I've got to add this other thing on of, of trying to be a good dad and be available for my boys and, and be involved with my family's life and so forth. And, and time just seemed to always be on my mind. When I was first in the ministry, I was always so conscious of time that if I went to a preacher's uh, conference or an educator's uh, conference of some sort, they would have separate workshops and occasionally they would have a workshop on time management. Somebody was going to speak on time management. I'm telling you, I never missed those workshops. I had to be there. And I mean, I, they, they, they'd be selling uh, any kind of material. I'd buy them and I had to have it. I'd get my workbook and I'd be taking notes and I'd be listening to this guy who had somehow or another mastered how to uh, use your day's time and make use of it and, and get it all done and get everything accomplished. And I mean, I was getting it. They'd recommend a book on time management. I'd buy that book. I never read it. <laughs> I never had time. And, and so I, I just couldn't. 
I couldn't get it all done. And I was just constantly thinking about time, time. As I was reading my Bible years ago, it dawned on me. You never see Jesus frantic, frenetic. You never see him saying, okay, how am I going to get everything done in the day, in the time that I have allotted to me? You know, come on, boys, stay with me. Did he ever keep up a, a hefty pace? Well, the only time I can remember him doing that was when he was on his way to Jerusalem for Calvary. He didn't drag his feet. The Bible actually says, I think it's Mark's gospel, it says that, that they, had to run up to, they had to run up to catch him because he was way up ahead of them on the road to Jerusalem. He was on a march, he was, but he was on time. Jesus never, is de- never late. He was always on time. Jesus said this when he first spoke in, in his ministry years. He said in the Gospel of John, he said in chapter 9, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. He says, there's a time frame. I got to get this work done. At the end, in John 17, here's what he said. I have finished the work thou hast given me to do. I want to be able to say that someday. I have completed what you gave me to do. Our days pulled at, yanked at, so much to do. I speak to retired people. I say, I say uh, uh, what do you do? Oh man, every day, busy, things to get done. Always coming and going. It seems like there's always something to do. Businessmen, their schedule's packed. I see people come into evening services straight from work and, and fighting traffic. You, you, you have a little bit of that around here. And, and, they, and they come in right to the service and they're, they're going, going, going. Housewives, mothers, busy feeding and taking care of a family and sometimes teaching at home and all the things that are pulling for your time. Everything that's going on in your life. Jesus. Jesus was never someone who seemed to be falling apart, saying, how can I get everything done on a, day's, on a daily basis? Did Jesus know about physical fatigue? Yeah. Yeah, he knew all about it. He slept on a boat in the middle of a storm. Did Jesus get pulled at by numbers of people? I just read where an entire city came out. By the way, Luke tells us that he didn't heal people in some kind of a mass healing. Luke tells us in chapter 4 that he spent time with each one of them individually. People are taxing. You know that. The fact is, Jesus was pulled at with the demands of people, the demands of life, teaching others about what was going on, and yet he got everything done that he was supposed to do. And I begin to study his life, and here's a 24-hour period in his life around people and in private. And here's what I came away with. You see in this one section here, what were the, what were the priorities in the life of Jesus? Because when you get pulled at in so many different ways, you can sometimes forget, what are my priorities for life? What are the things I should be doing on a daily basis? What is it I should do in order to fulfill God's plan for my life? I want to be like Jesus, and I would assume you desire that as well. Well, what were his priorities ought to be my priorities. And so let's just tap the brake, and let's take a look at what Jesus said. These are non-negotiables. 
These are the things that must be in my life. What were they? Notice in verse 35, the first thing I want to give to your attention. And in the morning, rising up a great while before day, he went out and departed into a solitary, that is a private place, and there prayed. The first thing I want to draw our attention to is this. Jesus had the priority of the private practice of prayer. It was a priority. Here was Jesus after, after an incredibly busy Sabbath. He went into the Sabbath synagogue and he sat there in the seat of Moses and he taught. Anybody who teaches, anyone who preaches, you know it takes something out of you. There's a physical exhaustion. There's an emotional and mental weariness that goes with it. He's done it. He cast out a demon. No doubt there were conversations that took place with people. He goes to uh, Peter and Andrew's home. And there he's introduced to uh, the mother-in-law of Peter. And he lifts her up from her fever. He enjoys the meal. When the sun goes down, people gather and one by one of the city, he spends time with them. That had to have been exhausting. How long did it go? I don't know. And then in the morning, rising up a great while before day. That phrase, a great while before day, means in the fourth watch of the night. Friends, that's somewhere between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. Now look, don't go on a guilt trip with me here. I don't know that Jesus got up at 3 or even 4 or 5. I don't know, but he got up somewhere in that window of time. You see him. He has spent the night in Peter and Andrew's home. And he gets up. He quietly must leave the house before anybody else does. Why? He gets out and they had to go find him. They didn't know where he went. He went and found a private place. Why? Because he recognized, I cannot fulfill what my father wants me to do if I don't first of all spend time with him. I'm probably looking at some people today, you've, you've spent time in prayer. It's not a measurement of time that I'm interested in. I'm interested in expressing to all of us in this room this morning the importance that Jesus put to the subject matter of private session of prayer, and it was obviously a priority in his life. It was a non-negotiable. How did Jesus pray? Well, you read in, throughout the Gospels, you read that he, he worshipped his Father. That ought to be a part of our prayer. Oh, hallowed be thy name. He worshipped him. Uh, he, uh, he, he requested, he prayed for other people. He told Peter, I've prayed for you. He prayed for us. You say, really? Yeah. John chapter 17 tells us that he prayed for all the people who would be taught and touched by his disciples, by the things that they would teach and would later write. And we have in the copy of the scriptures. He prayed for us that we would learn from them. And he prayed for himself. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he prayed for himself. You see, there's nothing mystical about the prayer life. The only thing that, that Jesus never had to pray for that we do is repenting of sin. He never had to confess that. Other than that, he prayed. He got up and he made it a priority. His priority of prayer shows that he had a commitment to prayer. He had an attentiveness to it. He had a diligence to it. We just saw two families, wasn't that beautiful, dedicating themselves and that child 
uh, uh, to the Lord. Your pastor is so, such a, such a shepherd as he shepherded them and all of us as he led in that prayer. It was special. It really was. There was a dedication that took place. Are we dedicated to prayer? Or is it, Lord, we ask that you please bless our family and, and, and keep us safe on the roads today and, and help us to get everything done and, and forgive us of our many sins. Lead God and bless. You say, Morris, that's a little overstated. I hope so. But there needs to be a dedication, a devotedness to prayer, an immersion into it. Learn what you can. Study it. Go on a Bible study about prayer. See the people in the scriptures who prayed and what they said. Read the Psalms. Phenomenal. So many of the Psalms are prayers. And they're bold. Telling God, it's time for you to arise. Woo. Time for you to get up and come to my aid. Learn to pray. (coughs) It was a private practice of prayer that was a priority. Now, if you're not interested in living in victory over sin, then just ignore this. If you're not burdened about people getting saved, then just forget about learning how to pray. If you want to live in fear and in insecurity and you don't want to, you don't want to have wisdom from God to make the right decisions in life, whatever they may be, then don't, don't concern yourself about asking God for help. Just forget it. But if you are interested, in being secure in your day-to-day life and getting victory over sin and learning how to be a better effective witness to others and learning how to be a person who has power in your Christian life, then we need to make seasons with the Lord in prayer a priority. Life gets busy. Life gets filled with discouragement. Sometimes we just rush through prayer or Forsake it altogether, completely. Have you ever seen somebody famous, you know, in life, you know, in airports and things like that? When I go to airports, I tend to look around. I just want to see, is there anybody passing through here that is famous, you know? I rode on a plane one time with uh, somebody that many of you would know. This is going to be my second reference to this TV show. Uh, Ron Howard was on the plane with me. Sat right behind me, believe it or not. Opie, he was on the plane with me. You say, Opie, yeah. For older generation, Richie Cunningham. And for most of us, a Hollywood director. Very successful. This is Andy Griffith Sunday, I guess. I don't know what this is. You say, did you talk to him? I did. I, I, I did. You say, what'd you say to him? It was quite a conversation. I looked at him and I said... How you doing? He said, did he talk back? Yep. He said, good, you? I said, I'm good. Wasn't that a conversation? I'm telling you, that was quite a conversation. You know the name, name, you know the name Tony Dungy? A guy who coached in the NFL for years, got a great testimony for the Lord. He really does. He, he lives for the Lord. Wonderful man. Uh, when he became the coach of the Indianapolis Colts, I, I called him. I called the Colts office and asked to talk to him. And after five tries, I got him on the phone. You say, why? I don't know. I just wanted to take a shot at trying to talk to him. I welcomed him to Indianapolis at the time we lived there. 
I called him and I said, have you found a church yet? No. He said, Morris, I haven't. I said, I'd love for you to come visit our church sometime. Now, I'm an evangelist. I'm on the road. In fact, I was calling from California when I made the phone call. He said, great. He said, where is your church? I thought, I don't know. I, I don't know. Where, I'm never home. I can't remember the address. I just know where it is, and I just drive to it, you know, whenever I'm home. I, he says, what time are the services? I'm not real sure, <laughs> but I faked it, and I just said, yeah, be there at 10 o'clock. You should be fine. And uh, he invited me to come and preach, speak to the Colts football team for a chapel service sometime. I said, uh, let me think about it. Yes, I'll be glad to do that. I'd love to do that. You say, wow, you talked to him? Yeah, I've talked to some other. I've seen others. Pat Riley, NBA coach and general manager for teams. Uh, Hulk Hogan, for you wrestling fans. <laughs> Crazy world, the, the world of airports. You can see some unique people. You really? I, I got another one I, I spoke to even recently. I got to speak to the one who made all things. The one who spoke and billions of galaxies came into being. I spoke to the one this morning. I spoke to him as I entered into your church auditorium. I spoke to the one who is the almighty God. And so when a man stands up and talks to you and, talk, and, and reminds you about the place and the importance of prayer, don't allow yourself to sit there and go, yeah, yeah that, that's important. Mm -hmm, that's important. And don't get more excited about talking to somebody so-called famous. When you have the privilege of talking to God at any time, at any place. And He wants to hear from you. He commands you. He calls you to talk to Him. And it was a priority in the life of Jesus. Jesus, how would you get everything done? Number one, the priority of the private practice of prayer. Number two, you see in His life the place and the predominance of the Scriptures. Now, in the life of Jesus, he was a preacher. I could say the place of the scriptures was that he was a proclaimer. You may not be a preacher. You may not be a Bible teacher. For the vast majority of you in this room, that's not the gifting or the place where the Lord has you to go. But there's no question that the proclamation and the place of the scriptures were a priority in his life. He went to the synagogue and they gave him a scroll and he opened it and he, he read it and then expounded upon it and exhorted from it. That's what Jesus was. God had one son and he made him a preacher. And Jesus was a preacher. And then Jesus said to the disciples who came to him, they said, Jesus, everybody's gathering back at the house. Let's go. And Jesus said, what did he say? He said, let's go to the next towns. The word towns there means little villages. Little places that we probably don't even know the names of these little towns. He said, let's go to the next little towns. And he said, that I may preach there also. For that's the reason for which I came forth. Look at chapter 2 and look at verse 2. And straightway many were gathered together insomuch that there was no room to receive them. No, not so much as about the door. And he preached the word unto them. Appreciate again so much what Pastor Brown said a while ago. We need the Word. We need the substance, the feeding of the Word of God. You cannot get enough of it. It was a priority in the life of Christ. So what does that mean to you and me? Well, I know it sounds basic, but the Word of God needs to be a part of your life every day. The Word of God speaks of itself. It says, for the Word of God is quick. Stop right there. The word quick means alive. 
all of the books, walk by the greatest libraries you want to, the Library of Congress, all of those books, they're dead. Oh, you may be challenged by something you read. You may uh, read something that's inspiring. You may read something that's fun, instructive. This book, it's alive every day, every moment, every page. From page one to page last, it is quick and it's powerful. That word means it, it comes into a life and it is explosive with truth and things change when this book is in your life. You see, the truth is the word of God improves your life. He says it's sharper than any two-edged sword and it's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of your life and of your body and of your mind. God's word improves your life. And you know that. I'm not just saying preacher stuff. It is the truth. It strengthens you for daily tests. It comforts you when you're going through a trial. It secures you in times of uncertainty. It guides you in times of confusion and in darkness. These who have young children, you think, I don't know how to raise kids. This book instructs you. You say, I got a teenager. What was I thinking having kids? The book will instruct you on how to be a parent of a teenager. You got grandkids. You will be taught how to be the kind of grandparent you ought to be. No matter what stage, no matter what age of life, this book ought to be an active part in your life. It uncovers the thoughts of your life and reveals God's thoughts, bringing you under conviction, bringing you direction, bringing you comfort, bringing you the coal of fire to stir your heart to a flame. You know, my mother, who's with the Lord now, my mother, probably typical mom, my, my mom thought, <laughs> my mom, bless her heart, she, could, she, she never remembered anything bad I ever did. And I did bad things and she got on to me. She corrected me. But as the years went by, I mean, I would say, Mom, you remember that time? That, and she said, I don't remember that. That's what moms, they just, they just do. My mom would put me up on a pedestal. I'd play a ball game. I'd strike out three times and get one hit, and she'd say, man, did you have a great game. No, I didn't. I only hit the ball once. Oh, my, she says, I think you're the best guy on the team. No, I wasn't. Did you notice I was batting eighth in the lineup? I mean, I was not the best on the team. Then I became a preacher, and if I ever was preaching near my mother, ay, ay, ay. My mom called everybody she knew. It was embarrassing. <laughs> Morris is preaching over at, you know, ABC Baptist Church. You need to, yeah, eh, tomorrow night. No, you need to come. She called up relatives. She called up uh, friends, neighbors. I told her one time, I said, Mom, don't, don't call everybody about me preaching. Just let people come who want to come. And she'd say, I'm going to call her. And she kind of got offended. And I said, I'm sorry, Mom. You, you go ahead. But I don't think the president's going to be there. I mean, just go ahead. You can call everybody you want to. My mom put me up on this pedestal. She did that all the time I was growing up. You know what happened? All of a sudden, I started getting in this book. You know what I found out? I'm not as special as my mom built me up to be. I found out what I'm really all about. 
This book pierced my heart and showed me the sin of my life. You say, Morris, I'm not a preacher like Jesus. Okay, it was a priority for him. Friends, it ought to be a priority of your life every day for the guidance and the direction of your life. This is a supernatural book. And let me go on and finish. As much more could be said about the Bible. It exposes you to God. Let me say this. Martin Luther said this about the Bible. He said, God's word chases me down. God's word has feet that chases me down. And he says, it has hands that take a hold of me. That's what the word of God does. There's one more thing I see in the life of Jesus in this text. In his 24 hours, we see these things in his life. Number one, the private practice of prayer. Number two, the, the, uh, the, the place and the predominance of the scriptures. And then thirdly, I see the personal passion for people. One by one by one, after another, after another, in the synagogue, at the house. Let's go to the next towns. I've got to keep preaching. He was burden for people do people irritate you don't don't look at anybody when i say that do people get in your way do people let you down do people mistreat you do people uh slow you down from getting where you need to get to, whether it be on the road driving or just in hallways or in life. You find yourself just saying, life would be so much better if it wasn't for all these people. I love my church, but man, these people. I'm speaking from experience that so often people can wear you out. People can drain you. And never one time do you see Jesus say, okay, enough's enough. I've had it with you demon-possessed people. Leave me alone. No. He never one time said, disciples, what is your issue, your problem? I've told you what to do about this. You guys are never going to get it, are you? No. He invested his life in people. Why? It was a priority. That's why I'm here. You say, Morris, I got I to do my job and, and keep food on the table and, and pay the bills. And I, yeah, I know, but along the pathway of life, God puts you and me into the crosshairs of people who need to see Jesus. And how do we reach a world? How do we reach our world today? There are some people who believe that you just totally separate, completely get away from the world, have nothing to do with the world, and just kind of feel like you're living in a bubble, keep your kids away from the world, and just, you know, every once in a while, open a little slit in your bubble and throw a little track out there and close that bubble uh, up again and say, no, go away, read it. Got to keep away from all these bad, bad people. The world is falling apart. I got to stay away from them. That's not what Jesus did. Oh, you say, oh, Morris, that's, that's, that's extreme. Of course not. You don't isolate from unbelievers, but we should live so differently and we should live so oddly that they look at us and they realize, okay, there's something really different about those people. Uh, they, just, they just completely 
They act different than the rest of us and everything. Look, there was nothing about Jesus that struck people that he was odd. Judas Iscariot didn't say to the soldiers, now we're going to go to the Garden of Gethsemane and uh, I don't have to go over and kiss the one that is Jesus. Uh, He's the one who really looks odd. He's real strange. Got real long hair. He's got a spooky look in his eyes. No. Judas had to go revealing. Why? Because Jesus looked like any other Jew living in the Roman culture of that day. There's nothing odd about Jesus. How do you reach this world? By staying away from them? No. By being odd around them? No. And then some of us as Christians, we just hang out with other believers all the time to where we just never ever inter- interact with unbelievers, hardly. And so therefore, we're not reaching the world around us. That's not making the difference. And of course, the wrong philosophy that some people have is, hey, I'll just be like the world. I'm going to cuss like the world and laugh at the same dirty jokes and and watch the same things they're watching so I can act like I know what they're talking about. I'll just be like the world, man. And that way they'll, they'll want what I've got. What have you got? You don't have anything different. You don't have anything different. So how do you reach this world? You'd be like Jesus. No doubt when they saw Jesus and they heard him speak and they looked at his eyes, they could see he cares for me. When he spoke, he was interested in me. When he took time for me, I was important to him. I'm not just a nuisance in his life. He had a personal passion for people. The rich young ruler came to him. And he didn't get saved, but Jesus looked at him and he loved him. Had passion on him, compassion for him. And on and on the list could go. I could go on. Look, folks, the world's a hospital. It's sick. Sometimes you read about what's going on across the world and even right here in our own country, and you say to yourself, man, these people in leadership, they're messed up. Do we ever pray for them? I'm convicted. The Apostle Paul told Timothy, pray for those who are in authority, kings and rulers. You pray for their soul." What would happen if there was a revival, I don't know, in the halls of Congress? Would that not be incredible? Is our God incapable of doing something along that line? Not not the Lord I know from His Word. You say, Morris, that's a pipe dream. We're to pray for those in authority. The world is sick. They need God's people to live in such a way that makes a difference and has a passion for people. In my very first ministry down in the state of Florida, once again, caught up with the busyness of my life and schedule, trying to get everything done. I had something long before we had uh, phones to write down our schedule list on the calendar and long before I had a PDA, some of you remember that, long before we had anything that which I could, this was my schedule keeper. I'd have a five by six card and I'd write down everything I wanted to do that day. And as I got things done, I'd scratch it off. I'd love to scratch things off. I mean, I was driven. Got to get things done, get things done. And I, I couldn't stand it when at the end of the day, they still had three or four things that didn't get completed, you know, and so forth. And I was working at my church and, and my pastor called 
called a special staff meeting of everybody that was on staff. We had a Christian school and we had a number of people on staff. We had somewhere between 50 to 60 people who worked at our church. And I thought, yay, 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 I don't have time for a staff meeting. Why are we doing this? We walked in there and and we met in our little uh, uh, side chapel that we had. And we sat down, I sat down on the front row, and I, I don't know <laughs> what I was thinking. I, I sat there with my to-do list in my hand. I wanted pastor to see, I've got things to do, you know, and don't really need to be in this staff meeting and, you know, and talking about what's going on in this ministry and so forth. And he had to cover th- information needed to be get, uh, re- uh, sent forth. And, and at the very beginning, he said, okay, staff, God bless you. He said, uh, let's sing a song. Yeah, let's sing a song. Sing the song. Okay. And, it, and, and, then, and then he said, now before we go further, he said, I've got a list of things I need to go over with you. But before we do, who's got a testimony of what maybe the Lord's doing in your part of the ministry? Have you ever sat in a testimony meeting? It can go on and on and on. I, I think I dropped my head and I said, well, forget you, list. You're never going to get done. Who knows how long this is going to go? And then he said, yes, Mrs. Wells. She was the first one. Who was Mrs. Wells? At that time, she was a first grade teacher in our Christian school. She later became a a director of our daycare center. But at that point, she taught first grade. She was everybody's mother, grandmother. She was a loving lady, perfect lady for the first grade. She said, Pastor, I have a testimony. He said, yes, what is it? She said, all of you folks know, and, and his name, I'm going to just make up a name, all right? All of you know uh, uh, Johnny, and she gave his name. She goes, he's in my class. Well, we knew Johnny. Johnny came from a home that was a very troubled home. His dad was unsaved. His dad was, based on what had been given to me, was a bit abusive to the family. The mother of the family was a believer, and she worked on our campus to uh, do part-time work just to try to help pay for the keeping her two boys in our Christian school. And she said, you all know quite a kind of home he comes from. She said, he's in my class. She said, at the beginning of class today, I handed out assignments of a, of a little picture, probably a, you know, connect the dot type thing. Remember those, those were sweet days. And connecting the dots and then color them or whatever, you know, it was and and she said, I gave out all the papers, and she said, I told the class, now you finish your work, and when you're finished, put your pencil down, put your hands together, and you sit there, and you'll wait for everybody else to get finished. And she said, she said, I saw it as an opportunity for me to get some things done at my desk that I needed to do, and she said, I was working. And she said, within just a few moments, she said, Johnny was standing right beside me at my desk. And she said, I turned, and I said, Johnny, wh- what are you doing here? Did, did, you, did you not get a paper? He said, yes, ma'am, I got it. What? Well, she said, I know you're not finished. You haven't had time. No, ma'am, I haven't really started. She said, are you feeling bad, Johnny? Now, she's telling us this in the staff meeting. And he said, no, ma'am. She goes, if you need to go see the nurse, I'll send you. No, ma'am. Do you need to go to the restroom? No, ma'am. She said, well, you need to go back to your desk and finish your paper now. Why are you here? She told us, and you could hear her voice crack when she said it. She said, he looked at me and he said, Mrs. Wells, please don't make me go back to my desk yet. 
I just want to stand by somebody that I know loves me. And there were very few dry eyes in the room because we knew the kid. And she said, you're not going to stand. You're going to come over here. And she did what we all wanted to do. And I looked at my list and I went, forget you. I'm letting paperwork get in front of people work. What is my problem? Paperwork's important. Responsibilities have to be taken care of. But in the life of Jesus, the priority was the private practice of prayer. It set the agenda. The the place and the predominance of the Word of God and the personal passion for people. That needs to be my priority every 24 hours and yours too. Would you bow your heads with me? Thank you for staying for this time. Look forward to seeing you back tonight at 6 o'clock. Please plan to come back. Father, I thank you for Good News Baptist Church and for the joy of being here with these dear people. I pray that you'll protect them all as they head their separate ways and I pray that you'll help us to be like Jesus on the pathways of our life, at home, businesses, school, work, day-to-day living. Lord, help us to live by your priorities. And I pray that in a special way we will sense your presence as you guide us. Bring us into contact with people that we could invite to church, that we could introduce them to you. And we'll thank you for what you're going to do. In your wonderful name, amen. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, you can visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened, and we want to encourage you to share this message with others. May the truth of God's word be your guide as you strive to follow Christ and make him known to others.